we pray. O Master from the mountainside, make haste to heal our hearts of pain. Among these restless throngs abide, O tread this city's streets again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few weeks ago, the readings told us that Jesus invited his disciples to get into the boat and to sail across the Sea of Galilee to the other side, into a new land filled with new people, new religions, new customs, a place mileage-wise so close by, but yet strange, so different, somewhere you feel like you're in an entirely different world altogether. Some of us might have found this over the summer. If we traveled anywhere outside of town, we also went to the other side, pushing ourselves to experience new things, meeting new people that we didn't know before, at times maybe being confronted with differences, maybe even at times questioning our own safety. The gospel readings from two Sundays ago, Jesus told his disciples to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, leaving their homeland, their own people, and going to another land, another country, and entering Gentile territory. And this narrative in Matthew's gospel has continued, and so the disciples have been on that other side ever since. Last week, remember, They ventured all the way the far north to Sidon, up in what is modern-day Lebanon. They were as far away from home as they had ever been in their entire lives. Let's put this in perspective. To the disciples, these encounters in foreign places would be the American equivalent of getting on a plane and traveling where the writing, the writing systems don't look like ours, where the ways that people eat are different than the way we eat. Even the ways in which people dress, what men wear, what women wear, even the ways in which people interact and greet one another on the street, the disciples were kind of in the middle of a confrontational immersion. They were in this immersion into new lands, and they've been experiencing this now for probably several weeks' time in real life. So you could, so you can imagine why they were so confronted in so many different scenarios that we've been hearing about. Now, we could also, we can look at it that way, but we can also imagine this part of Matthew's gospel, this part of the story in Matthew's gospel, in a way in which we do similar things where we we encounter such things when we read in fiction all sorts of stories about sojourners, people traveling through strange lands. If you think about it, you know, the, the whole trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, about the number of different types of people and, and places that are met. The Harry Potter books do a pretty good job of this. Even the TV series right now, Game of Thrones, is always throwing in a new people, a new realm, a new new customs, new cultures. There's something about reading or watching this stuff that it evokes our imaginations. 
And it makes us question our own sense of our identity, who we are. It makes us question our own sense of self, and it provokes a re-examination of our heritage. When we read or watch these fictional stories, we allow them, in some way, we somehow give them permission to take our bodies and our minds and, and our hearts and to somehow go to another side. And today, in the gospel reading that we're reading about the life of Jesus, the disciples and Jesus are still on the other side. We're still there today. Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, an outpost at the source of the Jordan River, a place high up in the mountains. It's absolutely a beautiful place, a place of very great importance. For centuries before this Bible story, for centuries before, Caesarea Philippi, which in the pagan world was known as the town of Panius, or Panius, which was dedicated to the water god Pan, okay? Caesarea Philippi was marked as a holy place for people of many regions and people of many religions. It was the source of water for Israel and Judea, Samaria and Jordan and all down the Jordan River Valley. This was the source of water. And so many different types of people and groups set up temples at this place. And they set up idols. They made idols of their gods, the god of the harvest and the god of fertility and the god of, for creation and you name it. There was some type of temple and some type of idol in this place. This had to have been quite a sight, quite a sight for Jesus and his disciples After all, they've now been venturing out in all these other realms on the other side for quite a while now. They've seen a more variety of peoples and foods and cultures and languages than they could have ever imagined. And now Jesus takes them here to this place and asks them a key question. Who do you say, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then later, and who do you say that I am? Peter is the one that gets this right. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And at this point, Jesus praises Peter for his answers and declares that on the rock of this faith, the entire church will be founded. On the rock of Peter's faith and the faith of the disciples, the entire church will be founded. Not the chief cornerstone of the temple in Jerusalem. Not somewhere maybe in Jesus' ministerial homeland around the Sea of Galilee. This rock, this foundation stone, this bulwark of faith is not present in any building, nor on any mountain, nor in any specific country, not even in a familiar place at all. This foundation of faith is present in people, in the people who have chosen Jesus Messiah, the Son of the living God. This, my friends, is completely revolutionary. Jesus, 
a faithful and religious Jew, has declared to all of God's people in a non-Jewish holy site, right next to foreign idols, in a foreign land, in a place outside of everyone's domestic safety and security, and everyone's comfort zone, that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he will be the Savior for not only the first ones, the first people chosen to know the true and living God, but for everyone in all times and in all places. And I dare say, especially for the people who happen to be on the other side. Absolutely extraordinary. So I want to fast forward and examine what this means now. Honestly, folks, since last summer, at least last summer, probably a little bit before, our society has felt more and more strange, unusual, foreign. We've witnessed terrible behaviors. We're not even accustomed to what we're experiencing right now. We've seen violence surge, civil unrest around the country and around the world, surges of old-school protectionism, racism, xenophobia, homophobia, anti-fascist movements, white supremacist movements, pro-Confederate initiatives, Nazi extremism, anti-Islamic rhetoric. I know that I've missed millions of them, but you get the point. Our country and our world feels like we have been pushed out of our homes onto the other side. We have been challenged, and we've been knocked off kilter. We're witnessing right now, witnessing the propping up of all sorts of false idols under the guise that they're going to make things better, that they're going to be the fix-it, the end-all, and the be-all. These idols sometimes seduce us into behaviors that make us go for some kind of extreme ideology. Other times they get seductive and they lure us in into speaking ill of our friends and our family and the people that we love. They lure us somehow to cut people out of our lives and they blind us from seeing the humanity in one another. What we thought we knew, we now question The former things have passed away, but what comes next, we don't know. Even though we're still here in Phoenix, we're living in our hearts and in our minds, somewhere pushed out on the other side, and we are surrounded by idols. This is obviously not fun. We don't feel at home. The pain, the tension in many of your eyes quite often is proof that these are tough times. And no one has all of the answers or all of the solutions. And we gravitate, we we have this appeal, we gravitate to quick fixes that end up making matters worse. We become so entrenched with isolating ourselves. We start isolating ourselves, and then we start pushing ourselves further out to the other side. We push ourselves away from God and away from one another. And then we get hungry. We start to hunger and thirst 
for something better. We start realizing that there's something we really desperately need. We need something. There's something out there that we need to acknowledge. And we've been asked today, we've been asked today by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And through our Christian heritage and our tradition, we've been given an abundant and everlasting gift. And that gift is Jesus, the Son of the living God. But on that day in that story, what was it that Peter identified about Jesus on that day? After all they'd been through, traveling so far, but this somehow perceived consistency of behavior, this holiness of his life, this this inseparable connectedness that Jesus had with God and with his fellow human beings— Peter thought, you know, Jesus is really the great I am, the son of the living God. Not a God dwelling over there in that temple in Jerusalem several hundred miles away, but a God who goes everywhere to find people like you and like me, out and about doing the things that we normally do. And gives us strength and healing and comfort for this great journey that we undertake every day. This journey that we call life. And this gift of Jesus' constancy, his presence among us, does not fade. Even when we feel like we've gone over to the other side, this presence does not fade when others begin propping up idols all around us. If anything, Jesus' presence gets stronger. And this Messiah, this Savior of the world, preoccupies himself with us so that when trouble arises and when our hearts are alarmed and our patience is maxed out and we are fed up, Jesus makes himself fully present with us and through us and is made manifest among us. Now, Jesus talked in our reading about Peter and his faith and the faith of the disciples being a foundation. That foundation, that rock upon which Jesus founded his church, that faith of Peter and the disciples, it's right here in this room, in you And in me. And that faith is alive and active, active, helping us keep being the body of Christ in the way that Paul writes about in our second reading that when we offer our best selves to God, we receive back this absolute abundance of gifts prophecy, ministry teaching, exhortation. We become generous givers. We become diligent leaders, and we become abundantly cheerful and compassionate people. This is who I know you to be, and this is who we must be for the people of Phoenix and for all the people around the world. 
Jesus invites us to answer, who do you say that I am, by urging us to be part of his body, his heart, and his mind, and his hands in a world that need us right now. Even when we feel that we've been swept away by a mighty wind and somehow landed on the other side, far away from where we're actually feeling at home. Jesus is never leaving us. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He is and he will be with us at all times and in all places. The realities of our daily life right now push us, push us over to the other side. You know this. You might witness the presence of new idols. Some of what we might see even on an hourly basis might be confrontational. But we're reminded, who do you say that I am? Where will you search for the heart and mind and hands of Jesus? Where? Where will you search? No matter where you go to find them, when you discover the presence of Jesus there, you know that you will no longer be out somewhere on the other side. But you will have arrived safely into the care of the greatest loving presence that you know and will ever know. And then you will truly be home. Home.